0: welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Do please grab your seats. Well, yes, um... So this is the second in our series entitled The Life You Always Wanted. We're working uh, together, many of us, through this uh, book by John Ortberg. Uh, I think the new one has a different cover. Mine's quite well-thumbed, as you can see, uh, in collectives and so on. And uh, today we're thinking about slowing and celebrating, how we slow down in a very busy life and how we celebrate. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to focus more on slowing than celebrating, because I was thinking about you lot, I think you're quite good at celebrating and you're lousy at slowing, uh, so uh, that's where we're going to uh, focus. Uh, last week uh, Jill launched a series talking about the overall concept of transformation, how to be a follower of Jesus is not just to be statically believe things, but to be being transformed into his likeness with every passing year. And she used that lovely phrase from uh, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, transmogrifying. And she talked about uh, how uh, we, through uh, transformational practices, uh, can be changed uh, to live lives that are richer, to have hearts that are freer, and to deepen our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Whenever I think about uh, being changed, about transformation, I think about some of the really holy people that I know. And in in the media, holiness is depicted rather negatively. But when you actually meet someone who is holy, it is attractive and compelling and beautiful. There's a kindness and a humility, uh, a winsomeness, a gentleness, uh, a presence about people who are holy. And one of the holiest people I I, I think I've ever known is a wonderful man by the name of Keith Savile. I think we've got a picture of Keith here. Here he is. Some of you will remember his wife, Philippa, came and spoke. Brilliant talk, well worth downloading. Uh, Philippa Savile. A few years ago, the talk was called, I Have Pitched My Tent in the Land of Hope. Keith Savile was someone, when you spent time with him, you felt like you'd been in the presence of Jesus And uh, everyone loved him, uh, who knew him. He's deeply humble. He was, I would say, one of the most successful people I've ever met. He didn't make loads of money. He was never famous, but he was deeply successful. His life was not easy. Um, Their oldest son has uh, profound learning disabilities and a whole uh, series of psychiatric uh, problems. They've had all sorts of challenges in life, and most notably, Uh, at the age of 62, as Keith was just preparing to retire. And I sat with him and Philip, and they were talking about some of their dreams. They wanted to go to New Zealand, some of the things they were going to do after a long career working uh, the rat race, what they were going to do. And then he was diagnosed uh, with, with, with brain cancer. And in December 2014, he died. And I remember visiting Keith Not long before he died, I've had the privilege of of journeying with one or two people uh, on their last journey to death. It's always a profound time. So much of the dross of life just disappears and you focus on what really matters. And by this stage, Keith was a little bit muddled. uh, And I was chatting to him about various things. And then I said to him, I think I was holding this actual Bible, I said, "Uh, Keith, should we read the Bible? And his whole face lit up. He said, oh, yes, let's. And I read a psalm, and I I watched as he followed along, and I could tell he'd memorized it. The Bible was deep within him. Philip has said that often after church on a Sunday morning, they'd go home, have lunch, and then he would go and sit on his own and read the Bible a bit more. He loved the Bible. And I said to Keith, are you sleeping okay, Keith? Because obviously uh, when when you're deeply um, scared... It can be hard to sleep. He said, well, I am finding it a bit difficult to tell you the truth. Uh, But the doctor's given me some sleeping pills. Do you think it's okay if I take them? (laughs) I said, Keith, I think it's okay if you take them. He said, you know, what I actually do is when I wake in the night, I say to the Lord, am I awake so that I can pray, or do you want me to take a sleeping pill? And sometimes he asks me to pray, and sometimes he tells me to take a sleeping pill. You know, all this... Stuff about a relationship with God, that is a relationship with God. That is holiness. When days away from death, you are saying, is it okay, Lord, to take a sleeping pill? And the thing with Keith was he had unshakable faith. He trusted God. He knew where he was going when he died. He didn't want to die, but he trusted God for the next life. And he was someone that I aspire to be like. I compare Keith to my own shabby little life. I think about how often I, I, I'm impatient, how often I'm hectic, just pinging from one thing to the next, not fully present with people. I, I think about how, how slow I can be sometimes to reach for the Bible just because I don't feel like it. And here is Keith in his darkest hour, feeding on the word of God. And I find myself saying, Lord, I want to be more like Keith, if holiness looks like Keith. And ultimately, I want to be more like you. How does that happen? It is through uh, practicing these spiritual disciplines, these transformational habits that help us to change, help us to realign our neural pathways. So let's um, look at the Bible together. Uh, we're going to turn to a 3,000-year-old beautiful psalm, Psalm 46. And I wonder uh, if you could, if you're able to do so, stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Psalm 46, let's stand together. And uh, you know Psalm 46, we'll just read it first. You'll find it helpful if you've got a Bible. Um, We're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit today. Also, you're going to find it helpful to take notes on this talk. There's one or two things I'm going to say that you will have forgotten in a week's time. But if you don't forget them, they will help you. So I just encourage you to take notes. But if you're doing it on your phone, uh, put it in airplane mode, or it could be a bit of a self-defeating thing. So uh, Psalm 46. Uh, Let me just read this to you. God is our refuge and strength He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Please be seated. The context for this uh, wonderful psalm is that the world is shaking. And nations are in uproar. Uh, perhaps you feel like that as you look at the papers at the moment. Uh, the nations are in uproar. Mark Carney this week, you know, if Brexit goes wrong, uh, then 35% reduction in house prices. Uh, you know, a, a whole long list of the potential crises. Sometimes it feels as if we're on the edge of a precipice. The world seems so shaky with you know, uh, battles in the Middle East and, and, and chaos in America and so on and so forth. The world is shaking. Nations are in uproar. Maybe your own life feels pretty uh, shaky right now. Maybe it feels scary. Maybe you're worried, deeply anxious today about your marriage there are habits of communication and miscommunication, breakdown. You're clinging on by your fingernails to the most important covenant that you've ever made. Maybe you're worried today about your job or about money or about your health. Maybe you're feeling deeply stressed. Maybe it was all you could do just to get to church today. The world is shaking. Nations are in uproar. And into this, this psalm, the psalm says, God is is in control. He is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God never said to you, you will not have trouble. He said, in trouble, you will know my presence. And then he speaks, verse 10, and this is where we're really going to focus, into the shaking and all the disruption. And he says, be still and know I am God. We, we sometimes think this stillness is about, you know, the day when I'll finally get to sort of, you know, just go and live in the middle of nowhere and talk to squirrels. Then I will know stillness. But you know what? You probably won't if you've not learned to be still in the chaos of life. It is in the midst of the shaking that he says, be still. Know that I am am God. God is the friend of stillness. If you want to know God, learn to be still. If you want to hear God, learn to be silent, because we read elsewhere that he speaks in a still, small voice. We always expect God to speak through a megaphone. Hello, I'm God. And mostly he whispers. We always expect God to wear hobnail boots and mostly he tiptoes. We always expect God to be weird when actually he is close and, as one writer says, God comes to us disguised as our own lives. Be still. Be silent. Befriend silence and you will get to know God. Be still and know. In uh, The Life You Always Wanted, John Oatberg quotes one of his mentors, the late, great Dallas Willard, a uh, professor of um, uh, philosophy. Uh, who, who He went to him for advice one day about all the different things, challenges he was facing. And, and da- Dallas Willard said to him a very surprising thing, the, 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 the least thing he expected. Dallas said to him, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We hurry because we are constantly afraid of missing out, uh, afraid that you know, if we're not at that party, we'll miss the relationship. If we're not uh, you know, in the right place at the right time, doing the overtime, we won't get the promotion. We, we'll run out of money. We, we, we're scared. We're driven. And God speaks into it and says, be still. And know that I am God. Be still and know that it's okay. Some of you remember my silly little story about, you know, it was a couple of years ago. I was just out there on Guildford High Street. And suddenly I heard this, ah! loud noise, and whirr, and a barking dog, and a, a clattering, jangling noise, and, and uh, this greyhound, you know, the skinny little highly strung ones, came zipping around the corner, one of those little side streets, onto the cobbled high street, and he still had his lead on, and his lead was attached to one of those metal bistro chairs, <laughs> and, and so... The, the, the faster the dog ran, the more the bistro chair was like rearing up and biting its ass. And, 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 and the dog was understandably frightened. And so every time the, 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 the chair attacked him, he ran a little faster. And then people started shouting, going, oh, get a dog. And that didn't help. And so people were lunging for the dog. The, as far as I know, the dog is still running. <laughs> what did the dog need to do? be still. The master comes out and says, stop, sit, lie down, be still. And everything is going to come back into perspective. We live so much of our lives pursued by hordes of bistro chairs, terrified by all sorts of things that are biting our asses. And if we're honest, half of them are illusory. And so we are driven by internal voices. You know, one of mine my. my my dad was very, very old. My dad was older than my grandfather. That makes any sense to you? Obviously, grandfather on the other side. And, and, uh, and as I was growing, up, he was a brilliant dad, but he was an old man, you know? And as he would often say, I won't always be around. And it put deep into the child in me, this thing of life is short. As, as a 12-year-old, I was profoundly aware you can die any minute, perhaps unhealthily so. And I know within me there can be a drivenness at times, because I'm like, life's short. You've got to seize every moment. Sammy's like, please, give me a break. We're we're chilling out by the pool here. I'm like, what are we going to do with this day? How are we going to seize the day? Carpe diem, you know. Driven. Bistro chairs. Sit. Be still. (laughs) And suddenly we find out the things that are tormenting us are just bistro chairs. Perspective returns. We live in such a busy part of the world, don't we? I mean, my mum lives on the Isle of Wight. When I go that you know I get off the ferry and I'm like, why is everyone driving so slowly around here? <laughs> Overtake. By the end of a week, I always say it's like going on holiday to the 1950s. By the end of the week, I'm like, who needs fourth gear? You know? And then you come back to Guildford. We live in such a busy part of the world. It's one of the busiest times of the year, right? Especially if you've got kids. All back to school It's manic. Busy, busy, busy. Wow. We definitely live at one of the busiest times in world history. (laughs) They thought the computers would mean we only work three days a week, right? (laughs) Instead, we're like hooked up continually, addicted to dopamine hits. And so we are busy, busy. Our world is exhausted. Our culture is exhausted. You notice on the train, everyone with their phones, it's almost monastic. They're almost like hermits in the glow, not of an icon, but of another kind of icon. They're playing, you know, with, with, with holy devotion, Candy Crush Saga, and, you know, <laughs> craving silence and simplicity and solitude. You know what the most popular pastime in this country still is? Growing, angling, fishing. That's a drive for silence and solitude right there. Binging on Netflix. The desire just to sit in one place and do one thing. The number of people, particularly if I can suggest middle-aged men who take up long-distance running and cycling. Do you know what that is? It is partly just they like cycling and running, but it's mostly, uh, you talk to any of them for any time, they say, oh, it's my headspace. We're exhausted. We're craving stillness. And God understands that. The Bible says that God himself rested on the seventh day, that he has put into the architecture of time rest, that he invites us to regularly pause, to stop, to be still. One of my um, favorite uh, bits of the Bible is Mark chapter 6, because it's kind of so intense. Everything is going on. First of all, Jesus is rejected in his hometown. Big trauma. Then he thinks, I'm not giving in. So he goes out on a preaching tour, and he sends his disciples out on a preaching tour, and they're preaching, and he's preaching, and it's all going great. And then he gets the news that his cousin John the Baptist has been executed, has been beheaded, and, and, and so he's weeping and the trauma is breaking his heart and he's scared because he's thinking, is it going to be me next? And as all of that's going on, suddenly his disciples come back like the idiots they are. They don't kind of pick up on Jesus' deep sadness and they just go, we had an amazing time. They're buzzing from their mission trip. So Jesus is hyped and excited and heartbroken at the same time. You ever notice it all comes at once? You know, you're happy and sad. People say, how are you? I say, that's just an impossible question to answer right now and so all this stuff is going on and we read in mark 6:31 to 32 so many people were coming and going that they did not have time to eat and jesus says to the disciples come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest the invitation to rest to stillness and you can almost hear the brakes screeching jesus understands how busy and bewildering life can be and invites us to withdraw, to take time out regularly with him in a quiet place. Um, The pastor Rick Warren, who leads one of the largest churches in the world, Saddleback, uh, says this, and this might be worth writing down so that you you remember it because you might find it helpful. Uh, It's a key to help us to Regularly be still. He says, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Abandon annually, well, that means, you know, unplug, take a really good holiday. Make, make sure, you know, have you, have you planned some kind of holiday? You say you can't afford, well, it's, are you saving towards a holiday? It's important to abandon annually. My guilty confession is, you know, we had a wonderful holiday in, in August, what a long time ago that was. And, uh, and on about day three of our holiday, I, I was in the swimming pool with our kids. And I turned to them and said, You find all this a bit boring? <laughs> like, we were reading books, eating food, and swimming, basically. It's a bit boring? And they're like, No, Dad. <laughs> and by the end of two weeks, I'm like, I don't ever want to do anything but read books and eat and swim. <laughs> I detoxed, come off the adrenaline. Abandon annually, withdraw weekly. This is the principle of Sabbath, making sure that you have one day in seven when you change gear, when you unplug. Can I suggest that it might literally be unplugging from social media and digital technology? That might be part of becoming more present, becoming more present to the people you love, becoming more present to God. Many people, of course, Sunday is their Sabbath. Uh, Maybe that's why you're here at church today. You are withdrawing weekly. Good for you. But I really want to focus on this thing of diverting daily. How can we make a little space to withdraw to a solitary place with Jesus, as he says, and to spend time with him? I loved what Rosie said last uh, week. Andy and Rosie shared their, their stories of how they are growing in, in their own devotional lives and, and, and made it so accessible. And, and Rosie just said, you know, many of you will remember, she said, well, look, you know, since I had children, I lost the, the space and the time and even the emotional energy to read my Bible regularly. And recently I sat down with someone and that helped her to work out Um, that that she had the 10-minute window in her day after dropping the kids off before work, when I suspect she's anything like me, she was probably answering text messages and playing Candy Crush Saga. And she she had this 10 minutes and put a Bible in the car and just used that space. It's just 10 minutes of studying the Word. She is withdrawing into a solitary place in order to be with Jesus. You know, I want to focus particularly on how, I've never taught here on this before, but how in prayer times we can be still. Because one of the challenges we can have is that when we come to pray, and obviously we've got a season of night and day prayer just about to start, many of you will be spending time you have an hour or two hours, whatever you choose, in the prayer room there. And, and, and the, the, the challenge is, whether it's in the prayer room or in your daily quiet time, that our prayer times can be as manic as the rest of our lives. You know, we're, we're, we're pinging from thing to thing, and then we're like, God, I have withdrawn with you in a solitary place. Here is my list of requests. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And God's like, whoa, bistro chairs, be still. And it is important in prayer that we intercede and we do spiritual warfare and we are invited by Jesus to ask for our heart's desires. So it's important to ask. And it's great to worship God. But also, it is important, I believe, in prayer sometimes to simply be still. You know, the best way of starting a prayer time is to stop trying, to pause. to to put down your prayer list for a bit and simply become aware of the presence of the one to whom you are addressing your prayers. (laughs) Sometimes when our kids were little, I'd come home from being away for several days, walk through the door, and I'd hear something like this, Dad, my brother's not sharing. Dad, what's for supper? And I'd call up the stairs, So nice to be back. Thank you. I'm glad you've missed me. Because all I really wanted was for them to come downstairs and go, Daddy, hi. My brother's not sharing. We're invited by Jesus. In fact, this is how the Lord's Prayer starts. Before you get into all the list of petitions, he says, address our Father in heaven and hallow his name. Give him the love and the reverence that he deserves. Be still uh, before him. Center your scattered senses on the presence of God. And so I'm going to finish by teaching you um, a four-step process that will help you to be still before God in your prayer times. And this is often called centering prayer, centering prayer. Now, some people get very jumpy about this, and they say, oh, it's dodgy, it's a gateway to Eastern mysticism. But honestly, you can get into Eastern mysticism probably shopping at home bases if you're not careful. Uh, If we keep our focus on Jesus and we stay rooted in the Scriptures, some really useful stuff that will help you to be more present. And um, uh, let me just contextualize it like this. Do you know that your soul is wild and shy? It's not like a pet that just comes on command. Your, your soul is like a deer. Actually, that's how the ancient Celts used to depict your soul, as a noble, shy deer. It's actually how the psalmist compares the soul. As, as, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Your, your soul is shy. And so if you want to become fully present to your truest self, you must be still. You must wait. You must be quiet. And it will emerge from the dappled places where it hides quickly enough. Be still. So here's a little how you can do it. And the four-step process is so crazily simple, but it works. The first thing is this. Relax. Just sit Comfortably, or if you're walking, walk slowly at an easy pace. Just relax. One of the things to do at this stage is just to work out where in my body am I carrying stress right now. Where am I feeling the pressure? Most of the time, you you when you stop to think about it, you realise oh, I'm feeling it in my neck, or you know I, I, I'm feeling it in my shoulders or wherever, and consciously just relax in that area. Be still in that physical area. Think about your posture. Your posture match matters in prayer. The Quakers teach us often just to open your hands to God as a sign of openness in prayer. The second step is this. After you've relaxed very deliberately physically, attend to your breathing. Breathe deep and slow. Now, again, people get terribly jumpy about this, but all I'd say to them is, I can give you Bible verses if you want. You know, God created us from the dust by breathing into us. Jesus once breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But if you need a Bible verse for breathing, you're in deep trouble. (laughs) This is just good physiological advice. When you are stressed, one of the physiological uh, um, consequences of that is you tend to breathe shallow and fast. That then reduces the oxygen going to your brain. And funnily enough, that increases your sense of anxiety, which is the very problem that's created in the first place. So one of the ways we break that vicious cycle is to very intentionally breathe slow and deep. You may find it helpful to, as it were, breathe in the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And breathe out the stress. Let go of the stress. Okay? This, 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 is, this is just simple stuff. Breathe well. And then thirdly, having relaxed your body and having slowed your breathing, then you may find it helpful to use a prayer word or a prayer phrase. This is teaching, by the way, that goes back to John Cassian and the Desert Fathers. It's as old as the church. Okay, Find a word that you can repeat in prayer. For the Franciscans, they used to use a phrase. They still do. They say, my God and my all. My God and my all. My God and my all. Sometimes I just say, thank you, Jesus. Some of you have prayed with me. You might have heard me. I often just go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I pray in tongues. You could use the Our Father, the first line there, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why don't you tune it in with your breathing so you breathe in Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so you're you're breathing well, you're sitting comfortably, and you're, you're using this prayer. You're not obsessing about the words of the prayer. You're using the words of the prayer to gather your scattered senses and center in on the presence of God. Some of this has been, um, you know, popularized in all the Nounist teaching and the best-selling books. But it's profoundly Christian. It's very ancient, okay? Uh, uh, and it's, it's so much more life-giving if you do it when it's focused on Jesus. And then, uh, fourthly, the fourth step which will help you to be still and know the presence of God is this. Repeat the process. And the reason you'll have to do it is you will get disruptions and interruptions, <laughs> As you try and still yourself, it's like there's a, a brass band marching around your skull. All the distractions, all the, the cacophony of things. Oh, ah, I haven't you know, put the cat out. I haven't bought the parsnips. I, you know, I, there's bistro chairs biting your ass suddenly. And, and suddenly all these distractions will come, and that's okay. Just remain in that place, and they'll subside. Is, imagine yourself, one of the spiritual teachers says, imagine yourself sitting in a boat on a placid lake. Everything is calm and still. And then suddenly a speedboat comes along and the boat's rocking and all the reflection is gone and you're feeling annoyed with them. But if you just sit still, the boat will become still and everything will become calm again quite quickly. So just keep the breathing, stay relaxed, keep the prayer word, and it will help you to Prepare yourself for the presence of God in prayer. So we're going to finish there. Perhaps for you, the world today feels a little shaky. And there are all sorts of bistro chairs that are driving you and exhausting you. And the Lord brought you to church today simply to say to you, be still and regain perspective. Perhaps you are here deeply looking for a deeper relationship with God. You would love to know the Lord the way that someone like Keith knows the Lord. You want to be changed. You want to get free of some of the mess, some of the habits, some of the behaviors and neural pathways that are dictating your behavior. Well, this series will help you. Stillness will certainly help you. I believe God is inviting many people here to stillness, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from their lives, to create more margin in their schedules for interruption and disruption, to use our downtime more constructively, less passively. And so, um, as we finish, it'd be great if, is it Wayne on the keys today? Just, if you want to just come and play, I'd love us just to um, be still as we finish. That would seem an appropriate way to respond to this message. So, just as Wayne comes, why don't you, where you're sitting now, just very consciously get comfortable. Relax. If you want to lie down, you can. Might be uncomfortable on the steps. Take some deep breaths. Receive the Holy Spirit. Release all that stress and pressure. You might find it helpful to think about, name some of those bistro chairs. What are the things that are driving you right now? I I, I really strongly sense there's someone here that um, I just think the Lord's um, speaking to me about someone who's I mean there's just massive friction and tension in your marriage, in your home and I've got a a picture, sometimes God just gives us pictures, he speaks to very normal people like me in very normal ways and the picture I have in my head is of um, I see like two cogs And they're eroded, they're actually worn away because the friction and tension has been so much that um, it's not just been been a bit of heat, but actually the very structure, the very system is eroded and and worn down. And you're really quite despairing. I believe the Lord wants to restore hope to you today. And I believe he wants to... um, Say that you can change. That's where it's all going to begin. You can change. The key is to come to Jesus. You will not be able to change by trying hard. You know that. This is the basic teaching of the 12-step program. You can't find it within you. But you'll find peace not in the storm, but in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. You'll find hope, not in the hopeless situation, but in God, who's the source of all hope. You'll find rest, not in the stress, but in being still. Allowing him to speak you, dare, daring to believe that he loves you and likes you and hasn't given up on you. Just sense the Lord speaking to me. with someone here that... Um, you, you said to God this weekend, I just give up. I give up. And he simply wants to say to you, I do not give up on you. I do not give up on you. So I'm just going to read the words of Jesus over you. And I'd love you to understand that just as God made you as an individual... He died for you as an individual. He loves you as an individual. He cares about you. The Bible says he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's engraved. He's tattooed your name on his hand. He rejoices over you with dancing. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And this is the words of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, just these words alone will make you fall in love with him. Jesus, the Son of God, he says to you this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? This is Matthew chapter 11. Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to make a little space in our days and our weeks and our years for stillness and silence and solitude. Just got a a picture. I'm going to finish with this, but a, a strong impression of, I just see someone, I think you're commuting, and your shoulders are slumped, you're in like a long raincoat, your shoulders are slumped, and you're grey, and you're just exhausted, you're just exhausted, and the Lord just wants to say to you, I I know, you're doing so well, you're trying your best, you're being faithful at work, you're being faithful to your partner, you're You're providing for your kids. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know the price that you pay. I know how busy it is. And he just is inviting you to turn your commute into a time of intimacy with him. Your time of stillness each day. On the 734, to Waterloo, or whatever it is, be still. Know my presence. Amen.